I've never been given the opportunity to preach so early in the service. Be prepared. Let's have a moment of prayer. Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditations and thoughts of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, our Lord and Redeemer. Amen. This year, as we've been told, we'll be hearing quite a bit during the year about the three words, know, grow and sow. And although today's message is not an actual part of a series of messages on those words, two of them fit nicely into the pattern in today's message. And no, in particular, is a key word in today's message. In the passage before us then, there was an event that took place that was a very beautiful thing. This event took place at the beginning of the last week of our Lord's life here on earth. It may be the same event that Matthew recorded in chapter 12, uh, 26 of his gospel, and it could be the same too that Mark wrote about in chapter 14 of his gospel. But there are slight differences in detail in the three accounts. Jesus came to Bethany on his way to Jerusalem, And that's where this event took place, at Bethany. A dinner was prepared for him there. It may well have been in the home of Simon called the leper. Who this Simon was is not made clear. But Simon was a very common name in those days. And usually there was some adjective or something added to help identify which Simon was meant And here it seems to have been Simon the leper. He had obviously been healed of his leprosy. And that probably, we don't know, by Jesus. We know Jesus healed many lepers. If Simon had not been healed, he could not have been living happily in his own home. And he could not have been giving a dinner in honour of Jesus. How many were at the dinner we don't know. But it was held in Bethany where Lazarus, Martha and Mary lived. And many Jews, we are told, gathered around especially to see Lazarus who had been raised from the dead. So it may have been quite a dinner. And Lazarus was certainly one of the guests reclining at the table with Simon. And John tells us that it was Mary the sister, and Mar- the sister of Martha and the sister of the Lazarus whom Jesus had reigned from the dead who was the lady who poured the expensive ointment on Jesus anointing him with it. The disciples were indignant at what they seemed to regard as a waste of an expensive ointment. And Judas Iscariot, the treasurer of the disciples was rather vocal about it. John reminds us that Judah was not really concerned about the waste, but rather that the ointment could have been sold and the money given to them to use for the poor 
because he is to steal from the common purse for his own benefit. But Jesus took a totally different view, and we will see about that. But first, let's find out a little bit more about Mary. John had gone to great lengths earlier on to make sure we knew who this Mary was. It was the Mary who later on had anointed him. He tells us in John 11.2, his brother Lazarus became ill and passed away. In Luke 10.39, we again find out a little bit more about Mary. She was the one who sat at Jesus' feet and listened to his teaching. That was when her sister Martha became flustered about doing all the serving and all the housework by herself. At that time, Jesus in verse 42 said, But one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion which will not be taken away from her. Mary had obviously deliberately chosen to sit at the feet of Jesus and listen to his teaching. She wanted to learn more from the master. She wanted to learn all that she could, as much about him and as much about his teaching as possible. She recognized that he was the Messiah. He was the son of God promised in the Old Testament to come and save the Jews. She recognized him as the Messiah. And as she sat there at Jesus' feet, she learned what all the disciples who had spent a few years with him had failed at that time to grasp. Jesus had taught the disciples that he was going to be killed by the Jews and buried. But then on the third day he'd rise again. He had taught them. But the disciples had been too slow to grasp and understand that he had taught them quite plainly. But they had been so absorbed by the thinking that they had grown up with about the coming Messiah that they had failed to take in all that he had been teaching them about his death. They were still thinking of an earthly king, an earthly Messiah. But Mary had caught what Jesus was saying and she had understood that his life was going to be sacrificed. And in a beautiful act, she showed him that she had understood what he was telling them. Mary realized that Jesus was ready and willing to die, to sacrifice his life, and that this was in accord with God's will for him. It was why he had left heaven. It was why he had come to earth. Mary knew he was the Messiah, the king of the kingdom of heaven, but to establish that kingdom and enable people to become citizens of his kingdom, he had to die. His was no earthly kingdom. His was a spiritual kingdom. And Mary knew that he had come to save his people, to die for their sins, to pay the price that God had decreed had to be paid for sin. Only by death could his kingdom be fully established. 
And so she anointed him, just like any earthly king would be anointed. She knew perfectly well what she was doing. Her sacrifice was expensive, but she knew that her Lord's coming sacrifice was going to be ever so much more expensive. It would cost him his very life. Her comparatively small act of sacrifice was symbolic of his greater sacrifice. And Jesus saw Mary's act for what it was. It was a special anointing. It was both an anointing for his burial, but also an anointing for him as king. We know that this was in Mary's mind. When the disciples, urged on by Judas, reprimanded her for her act, the Lord defended her in a beautiful way. The Lord knew exactly what Mary had done and why she had done it. In Matthew 26, 10 and 12, the Lord said, Why are you bothering this woman? She's done a beautiful thing for me. When she poured this perfume on my body, she did it to prepare me for burial. And inferred in those words was the fact that she was also simultaneously anointing him as king in his spiritual kingdom. Mark recorded almost exactly the same words where he said, she has, where Jesus said, she has done a beautiful thing to me. She's done what she could. She has anointed my body beforehand for burial. And in John 12, the passage that Barry read to us, Jesus said to Judas, leave her alone. She intended to keep it for the day of my burial. Mary had learned what the disciples had misunderstood. And she learned how? By sitting at the feet of Jesus and listening. And one could, uh, could add, by revelation from heaven as to the full meaning of what she was hearing. She accepted what Jesus said and she believed it. It was much as Jesus said to Peter in Matthew sixteen seventeen: Flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And Mary put into action what she believed. How close she came to the heart of God, learning and knowing his plans, his purposes for his son. Oh, that we could be like Mary. She was quite prepared to be misunderstood. Firstly, by her sister, who was flustered with all the serving as Mary sat at Jesus' feet. And then she was misunderstood by his disciples and others at the house for the dinner. But she was determined to get to know all that she could about Jesus and his teaching. I wonder how many of us are like Mary. God has secrets. Secrets that he doesn't reveal fully to everyone. But he longs to share many things with us just as he did with Mary. Do you remember the occasion recorded in Matthew in chapter 13 verses 10 to 12? Then the disciples came and said to him, Why do you speak to them in parables? And he answered them, To you it has been given... 
to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven. But to them it has not been given. For to the one who has, more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. God has secrets, and he simply does not reveal them to all and sundry. That is reserved for those who sit at his feet and listen. Later, the Lord said to his disciples in John 14, 25 and 26, These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you. But the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. So we have a great teacher available to us. We have the Holy Spirit, the third member of the triune Godhead. He actually indwells us. Jesus said in John 14 that he would actually come and indwell us in the person of the Holy Spirit. Paul, writing in Romans 8, 9 and 10, said, You, however, are not in the flesh but in the Spirit, if in fact... The Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. How wonderful! We have the very Spirit of God who indwells us to teach us the things of God. And in Second and First Corinthians chapter two, Paul informs us that God's Spirit, who knows the very thoughts of God, talks to our spirit and reveals to us the things of God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. That is, if we sit at His feet and listen to Him as he takes the time to teach us. Or that we might take the teachings of Scripture to heart, just like Mary did. I'm constantly amazed as I read some of the books that great Bible teachers have written and as I sit and listen to some of the great preachers of the Word of God. I'm amazed at the secret things of God that they tell us. Where did they get this information? God, the Holy Spirit, as they studied the scriptures and as they dug into the scriptures, has taught them great secret things that they have subsequently shared with all who have heard their message or read their books. Think of the Apostle Paul. He testified to the Galatians in his letter chapter 1 and several verses for I would have you know brothers that the gospel that was preached to you is not man's gospel for I didn't receive it from any man nor was I taught it but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ I did not go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me but I went away into Arabia and later returned to Damascus. Paul had spent a couple of years in Arabia sitting at the feet of Jesus, listening 
and learning from the Holy Spirit as he searched the scriptures. And God revealed wonderful things to him. Truths that have affected the church ever since as Paul shared them in his letters. Joshua was a great man of God who after the death of Moses led the Israelites into the promised land of Canaan. How much do you know about Joshua's life? Did you know that when God gave Moses the commandments on Mount Sinai that Joshua was there with him in the very presence of God all the time listening to God and learning from him? Exodus 32 tells us how Moses and Joshua came down from the mountain and heard the reveling of the people as they worshipped the golden calf that Aaron had made for them. Joshua had been up in the mountain with God. He'd spent days listening to God and learning from him. In Exodus 33 we read where Moses used to take the tent and pitch it well outside the camp where the Israelites were camped. And there he would go and talk with God. And the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks with his friend. And then amazingly, in verse 11 of that chapter, we read, When Moses turned again into the camp, his assistant, Joshua the son of Nun, a young man, would not depart from the tent. Joshua stayed on in the presence of God. In that very tent where God and Moses talked face to face, friend to friend. Is it any wonder that Joshua was walking so closely with God that he was trusted by God to do such wonderful things as he led the people into Canaan and won great victories there? Do you remember back in Exodus 17 where the Israelites fought against the Amalekites and Joshua led the army there? Moses, Aaron and Hur were on top of the hill where Moses held his arms up. And as long as his arms were held up, the Israelites were winning. Later on, Aaron and Hur had to hold his arms up until the battle was finally won. And after it was over, God said to Moses, write this as a memorial in a book and recite it in the ears of Joshua that I will utterly blot out from memory all memory of Amalek from under heaven. God had a secret that he made sure that Joshua knew and understood. How wonderfully God shares his secrets with those who clearly spend time sitting at his feet and listening to what he says. And what about Abraham, that great patriarch? After God called him out from Ur of the Chaldees, Abraham eventually arrived in the land that God promised to him and his seed after him. After living in a few different places in that land, Abraham came to the place 
called Hebron. <coughs> and that's where, <coughs> pardon me, that's where he continued to live. Now, Hebron means fellowship. And the teaching from that is that Abraham lived in close fellowship with God. Abraham and God interacted with each other. God talked to Abraham and Abraham talked to God. Indeed, they fellowshiped in such a way that Abraham was not afraid to take God to task. In Genesis 15.1, God spoke to Abraham. Don't be afraid, Abraham. I am your shield and your very great reward. And then Abraham talked back to God, saying in effect, But God, you've missed the point entirely. Of what use is all that reward to me? Because I simply don't have anyone to leave it to. I don't have a son. You've given me no children. So a servant in my household will be my heir. Now you can only talk like that to someone who is a good close friend. Someone with whom you fellowship closely and regularly. And God and Abraham were exactly that. They were friends. In Isaiah 41, 8 and 9, we find God himself speaking. And he said, But you, O Israel, my servant, Jacob, whom I have chosen, you descendants of Abraham, my friend. God's words. God called Abraham his friend. And in the New Testament as well, in James 2, 23, we read, And the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness and he was called God's friend. How wonderful to be called and recognized as God's friend and for God himself to call you his friend. And it's possible for us to be God's friends too. Our Lord is recorded as saying in John 15, verses 13 to 15, Greater love has no one than this, that he laid down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. I no longer call you servants, because a servant doesn't know his master's business, but instead I have called you friends. For everything I have learned from my Father, I have made known to you. So again we see the same principle. If we sit at the feet of Jesus and learn from him and put into practice what we learn, we can become his friends. None of the things of the kingdom will he withhold from us if we're deemed to be his friends. But the condition is there and it's simple, very simple to understand. If you do what I command. This is very similar to what he said in the previous chapter. Chapter 14, 23. If anyone loves me, he will obey my teaching. My father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. God the father, God the son will come and make their home with us. And of course the Holy Spirit already indwells us. So the triune God makes his home with us if we obey his commands. That is, if we sit at his feet and listen to him and put into practice what he teaches. 
And let us note one more thing about Abraham and his close walk with God. In Genesis 22, God asked Abraham to sacrifice his son. This Abraham was prepared to do. Hebrews 11, 17 to 19 tells us, By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promise was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, through Isaac, shall your offspring be named. He considered that God was able to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. And in this experience, God showed Abraham the tremendous secret of what he intended to do for the world. First of all, Abraham learned for himself. He learned that God would raise his son Isaac as from the dead and that this would secure a people, a nation in the future and that God would give them a land, eventually a kingdom, to live in as their own. But Abraham saw far more than this. God revealed to him something much more far-reaching. God was going to raise his own son from the dead and create a kingdom of people who believed in the son and accepted him as their saviour from sin. That was a tremendous secret to impart to Abraham. Jesus said in John 8.56, Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad, said Jesus. God had shown Abraham centuries before it happened how his son would come to the world and die for the sins of the world and be raised and establish his kingdom. Amazing! But Abraham, as it were, sat at God's feet at Hebron in fellowship and he learned wonderful things from God. And according to Peter, in 1 Peter chapter 1, prophets and angels longed to know these things. But Abraham, centuries before knew, God does reveal his secrets to those who walk closely with him. So where in all this do we stand? Are we sitting at the feet of Jesus, listening to him, learning, putting into practice? Are we obeying his commands so that we can become his friends? Are we putting into practice all that he is teaching us from the word? Do we know in all kinds of situations how God wants us to act and react and behave as his children and as his friends? Let's be reminded. Jesus said in John 14 and 18, I will not leave you orphans, I will come to you. And that was in the person of the Holy Spirit, the third member of the Godhead. And as Paul reminds us in Romans 8 and 9, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. The corollary, the corollary is that if anyone does belong to Christ, then he or she does have the indwelling Holy Spirit. 
And in that same chapter we read, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit. And Paul tells us those wonderful words in 1 Corinthians 2, 9 to 12. But as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit, said Paul. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows the person's thoughts except the spirit of that person which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. Oh yes, God wants us to know his thoughts. He wants us to know his ways. He wants us to know all the secret things of God. And he's made every provision for that to be a reality. God's word is full, absolutely full, chock-a-block full of things that he wants us to know and understand and put into practice. And we have the Holy Spirit indwelling us to teach us if we believe in the Lord Jesus and have asked him into our lives to save us from sin. So we have more than Abraham had. We have more than Joshua had. We have more than Mary had. And the Holy Spirit longs to talk to my spirit and teach me more and more about the things of God. The big question is, do I hear his voice as he speaks? Or do I recognize his voice as he speaks to me? Do you recall what the Lord had to say in John 10 verses 2 to 4? He who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And when he has brought out all his own, he goes before them and the sheep follow him for they know his voice. We Christians have our shepherd. Our great shepherd, Jesus Christ, in the person of the Holy Spirit who dwells within us. He calls us by name. He talks to us. But do we recognize his voice? And do we follow where he leads as the sheep follow the shepherd? Do we know his voice well enough to hear and recognize all the deep things of God that he longs to impart to us? Remember the words that God the Father said as recorded in Isaiah chapter 45 and verse 3. I will give you the treasures of darkness and the hordes in secret places that you may know that it is I, the Lord, who calls you by your name. So God tells us he wants to give us. He tells us he wants us to know he wants us to know the treasures of darkness and the hordes of secret places. He longs for us to know the deep things of God. Oh, how we need to heed 
the voice of God, listening and learning from him. The Bible has much to say about the voice of God. Psalm 68, 33 says he sends out his words, his mighty voice. He warns us in Psalm 95, 7 and 8, Today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as the Israelites did at Meribah. Jeremiah 7.23 This command I give you, obey my voice and I will be your God and you will be my people and walk in all the ways that I command you that it may be well with you. Psalm 29 and verse 3 The voice of the Lord is over the waters. The, the God of glory thunders. Acts 22.14, Paul quoted the word of Ananias to him. The God of our fathers appointed you to know his will, to see the righteous one, and to hear a voice from his mouth, to be a witness for him. King David in Psalm 29 and verse 4 wrote, The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is full of majesty. Elijah, on the other hand, heard the voice of God as the sound of a low whisper, as recorded in 1 Kings 19.12. And Micah exhorts us in Micah 6.9, Listen, the Lord is calling. So the voice of God comes in many ways. But if, like Mary, we are sitting at the feet of Jesus, we will hear it, we'll recognize it, and we will meditate on the words that he, he says to us. And then we will do everything possible to put them into practice in our lives. Just as God exhorted Joshua in Joshua 1.8. Oh, let's be like Mary, who understood what God was revealing to her. Not like the disciples in those early days, who simply didn't understand what Jesus was saying. Make sure... You recognize his voice when he speaks to you. Then you will be able to follow him closely. As the hymn writer says, Speak, Lord, in the stillness, while I wait on thee. Hushed my heart to listen in expectancy. For the words thou speakest, they are life indeed. Living bread from heaven, now my spirit feed. Speak, thy servant heareth. Be not silent, Lord. Waits my soul upon thee for thy quickening word. Amen.